to another episode of We Don't Die, where my goal is to give you evidence that although our bodies will disappear, we survive physical death. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the best-selling book called We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. Today on the show, I'm pleased to introduce you to Josh Lucian. Now, I met Josh through Facebook and email. He's one of our listeners, and he has said that he's got a a story to tell. And I just want to encourage anyone who's listening. You don't have to be an author. You don't have to be a famous person. If you have a story in your heart that will help others believe that life after death is real, by all means, I'm willing to talk to you. I'm willing to hear your story. And you can email me at Sandra at SandraChamplain.com. So coming to us today from Roanoke, Virginia is my new friend, Josh. And welcome to the show, Josh. Welcome. I'm so happy to be here, and I love your work and love everything you do, and I just want to thank you for the message that you share, and it's an opportunity to be here. Oh, you're most more than welcome. It's my passion to do this, and every episode keeps me living a better life as well, because as you know, we try to fill these with inspiration, so I can't um, hang up the phone with you and then go back into my... I want to say dark ways. I don't have dark ways, but you know, sometimes we listen to the negative thoughts in our head. Anyways, Josh, over um, uh, our last Facebook message, uh, you started to say that you were getting some nudges that you need to share your story. If you wouldn't mind, tell us a little bit about you, maybe what you do for a living. You live in beautiful Roanoke, Virginia, and um, and what kind of nudges were coming to you? Yeah, I, I run a construction company. We focus on bathroom remodels and kitchens. Um, We've been doing it for nine years now, and I pretty much got to a point where when the economy fell out, nobody could find any work, and my own my own boss couldn't find any work. So I was beside myself. I had an excellent talent. I'd taken architectural and design, but I couldn't find a job in that unless I was willing to move to Europe or somewhere. So I took it upon myself, and I said, what's stopping me from finding the job? So I just contacted all the loved ones and people that I knew. I got enough work like that. I was working out of the back of a Corsica. The next thing you know, uh, I turned into a van, into two vans, into three vans, and I just kept working. And now I have a very successful flooring company uh, that allows me to spend a lot of time with my family. Oh, congratulations. And, yeah, it's, it's been a, a very long journey to get there, but uh, it's been very rewardful to where I'm at now and very thankful that um, I've inspired a lot of people to start their own business as well because if you start your own business, that's something nobody can take away from you. You literally create your own job from the skills that you offer. And uh, my job can be exported. It's not, I have no competition because uh, nobody can be me. Right. And I'm literally competing against myself in so many regards because what I offer to the person is true care and I want to do the best job as possible. And they know that when, I, when I'm there and my work and it shows it and I try to represent who I am, mm-hmm. and um, that's very important to people is to have that trust when you do work in their house. And oh, absolutely. Well, well done, and being an inspiration for starting your own business. And, yeah, it, it's hard work, but, boy, I tell but, you, I know just what you mean. It it certainly is rewarding. Yeah, the work is literally a reward within itself. The um, the nudge you were talking about, the, this particular job I have allows me to meet a ton of different people and be inside their personal space, inside their home, and they trust me. So I get to have very close conversations with many people, and that sometimes they share their beliefs with me and things like that, and we, we try to talk about that. And this one particular woman, um, she was an elderly woman. She lost her husband about six years ago. 
and she was still grieving and kind of going about it because it was the anniversary when she lost her husband. So the first thing I did was give her a big old hug, and I was like, you know what? He's still right here with you, and just the pain that you're feeling right now is only the fact that you're focusing on what's gone. You're not focusing on what you gained and all the life that you've spent with him and all the love that you've shared. It's very much still there. With the power of thought, you can return to it whenever you want, and it's a gift. You're just looking at the bad side of it, and immediately her tears went away, and the hug probably did it. I just maybe a combination of the two, but she needed to hear that. Well, in doing so, it opened up a conversation. And she said, you know what? I've been looking for answers for this, and I've been reading a book called Proof of Heaven, We Don't Die by Evan Alexander. Yes. And it was a very powerful book to her, and she started talking. I didn't even share the fact that I had a near-death experience. I just was listening to her, trying to understand the cause of her pain. And as she was talking about it, she was confirming her own belief in it, and everything she said resonated with me so deeply, it was like she was telling my story. And uh, I was like beside myself. I was like, wow, I've never read this book before. And uh, she pulled it out, and after she told me the whole story, everything that she could recall, I told her my story at that point. Her jaw just hit the floor, and she said, wow, I cannot believe that. And uh, she said, it's just so amazing, and she was beside herself. She said, you need to share this story with other people. She said, look at all the good that this book has done, for example. Yes. And I said, it's, it's not about sharing my story that's important. It's about the lesson of what it allows you to do with your life. Right. Because even though you've lost something, the loss is just looking at it from our temporary uh, position of where we're at. Pain is temporary, and it's very brief, but it's because that we feel like we've lost something. But life and the universe has a way of restoring what we've lost. As soon as there's a vacuum, something else will come into our life to replace exactly what we've lost. But if we close ourselves off, and we, we look at, we only focus on what we've lost, we won't have our eyes open enough to see the new coming in that replaces exactly what we've lost. It may not be exactly what you've lost, but you still have the memories, you still have the thoughts, you still have the love, everything is still there. It's just in a different manifest, because change is the only constant that I've, I've known in life. Yeah, it's true. I've never and heard it put that way before, Josh, that like the vacuum, something new will replace what you've lost. And I think that's pretty profound. But you have to be open to it, I Yes, and we close ourselves off when we, we feel that pain, and it's a natural uh, expression of hurt to close ourselves off from the pain. And we don't want others to see us in a weak no. position of that, uh, especially men. You know, women are better at sharing their heart with people than men are. A lot of people close themselves off to it and recluse and become an introvert when really they should do just the opposite. They should open themselves up, share their feelings so they can get the internal closure they need to express themselves and to understand what it is that's really causing the pain. Because when you really focus on the pain, if, not, you, know, if you have faith, you know that they're still there. Uh, they haven't gone anywhere. It's just us trying to deal with the temporary moment of what it is and it's something that doesn't even exist because you have all those memories wow Wow. would you mind telling us what happened with your near-death experience mine happened at the age of six i'll start from the injury and work on all the way through dr adawa 
I, I love her to death. She's an awesome woman. And no sooner than this is the strange coincidence, I have to relate to that. Well, I wrote through uh, Evan Alexander's story, and I put a little post on there. Somehow it went to Dr. Adawa, and she messaged me. She followed up with the story, and she checked my mother, everything fully out before she even called me, which adds to the credibility of her cases because of how thorough she is. Mm-hmm. And uh, she followed through with everything, and she she's given me a lot of inspiration and a lot of things, answers to questions I didn't even know I had about near death. And it's really helped me wrap my head around this because this happened when I was six years old. I remember it like it was yesterday. Wow. That's how strong the memory of it is. Uh, I don't remember anything before the accident, n- nothing of which I could say I changed from this or that. That's literally the first moment in life that I remember is uh, the near-death experience and waking up in the hospital afterwards. I was born left-handed, according to my mother, because I don't remember anything before. Right. But after the injury, I became right-handed. And I started using the side of my brain that I damaged. The way the injury happened, I was six years old, and we were, me and a little girl named Angie, we were running outside to go play. We lived on the second floor apartment, and there was this big rail on the side, and it it had a a flat spot, kind of like a balcony. And then it had a long rail, and I used to put my armpit over the rail and kick my legs up and go sliding down the rail and bypassing all the steps and kind of just jumping off into a run as I would take off down the steps. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, Angie was racing me to go outside. So I just got my arm on the top of the rail and she just gave me a little nudge, just a little push, just enough to try to slow me down so she could beat me going down the steps. That push was enough to send me right over the balcony, head first, falling about 16 feet right on the concrete. Wow. And it, it split my head open almost like a melon. But children are amazing. Our, we are made perfect in all regard. Our head, I've done a lot of research on the skull, and I've, I've tried to look at things skeptically, you know, other than just a miracle how I could have survived. Our brain has natural zipper marks within it, and it's for expansion of growth for children. And if it wouldn't have been for this natural expansion of growth, my head would have, if I would have been in a fully adult where my head was hardened, it would have cracked like an egg. There would have been no way they could have put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Mm-hmm. But being a kid, my head absorbed some of the impact, and it fractured at the same time. My mom, according to her, I stood back up after the injury. I walked back upstairs and collapsed in her arms. Oh. I don't I don't remember walking upstairs. I don't remember. I remember the fall, and that's it. How I got back up and walked upstairs, that must have been muscle memory or the angels themselves carrying me up to her arms. And she blames herself for not watching me because a babysitter, this other woman's mother, was the one watching us, supposedly, and she wasn't. So she still blames herself for this injury allowing to happen. I said, no, Mom, it was a gift. Everything is a gift. You have no idea of what you've given me, even though I know it looks like pain on the outside. It's not about what happened to you in the past. It's about what you become and why you became that. And I'm thankful for everything in my past, even the bad stuff. And um, to relay exactly what I'm trying to say is after I fell down, I went into this dark, dark place. It was absolutely no light. It was as, like when you shut your eyes in a black room, the infinite darkness that surrounds. And I was, 
I still had my thoughts. I still had my feelings. I still had my personality. Everything was intact for what I was, but I was more confused. And no sooner than a feeling of being scared came in for the first time, something called to me. And it's not like a, you're calling your name. It's more of a vibration of a music that soothes your soul. And as soon as you hear it, you're like, oh, it's all right. That came over me every time I would start to feel negative feelings of fear and worry. And I couldn't move. I couldn't even see myself. I had no frame of reference that was. And I don't know exactly what brought on the feeling of surrender, but it wasn't until I surrendered myself. I literally just said, all right, there's no point in me trying to grab on to anything or trying to get out of this. There's no escape. There's no way out of it. No sooner than I did that, that's when I literally felt this expansive feeling like I was expanding. Uh, it's really hard to describe this because it's not something we do at all. Right. But if you were in a dark room and your eyes are shut, all of a sudden your point of view changes from the outside of the room looking inward to where you once were. And you've expanded so large. The point where you once were is so tiny and so minuscule, you can see a little tiny light. And the light is very small, but it is piercing and infinitely strong at the same time, but it's very, very far away. Well, no sooner than you see that light, and I guess this is the tunnel that everybody talks about after listening to countless near-death experiences, that I went into that tunnel, and it's not like you have a frame of reference like you do here where your eyeballs and you see A to B, I was literally, I felt like somebody pulled the drain out of a, a tub, and I was being siphoned down into this thing that was calling for me with this beautiful humming home. It was just a vibrating hum sound, and I can't even describe it. I wish I could hit the right tone and re repeat it because it was so beautiful, and it called my name. Well, as I was moving toward this tunnel, um, I begin to see things that didn't make a whole lot of sense because it was like I was literally letting go of aspects of myself, but not, I was becoming so much more that where I once was seemed minute in comparison to where I was moving to. And it's hard to describe. It's almost like your awareness you just expand outside of yourself and all of a sudden you can see things much differently. That's the advantage point I had the closer I got to this light. Well, no sooner than I, I started getting to this light, it, I started getting faster and faster and faster. And the more I wanted to get there, the faster I would get there. And I even had the feeling in my stomach, like when you're on a roller coaster and you hit the top of that hill and you feel that funny little feeling in your stomach. I had that as well. I mean, I was moving like wow. I just took off from a jet plane. The faster I went, the faster I could go. Well, no sooner than I made it to the end of this vortex, um, that's at the point that everything around me was literally like a beautiful white mist. And the mist, it is so hard to describe because it was radiating light itself. And it was surrounding everywhere. And I saw these little tiny firefly-type things. And they were shaped much like an onk of life that I've come to find out. But they were flying around, and they were able to weave strands of light in front of me. And they fabricated this beautiful tree, the most beautiful tree you could ever imagine. In fact, the roots of it 
which went down into the water that the mist revealed. And I saw these roots went down into the water and became the earth itself that I was standing on. And it was so tall and so massive as I looked up to the top, the leaves branched out and became the sky itself. This tree was everything that I was encompassed by. And it was, I couldn't see any end. I was not surrounded by boundaries. I had uh, a different point of view that I've never had in life before. It was hard to explain it's not your two eyeballs type sight it's, yes um more of like a omnivision you're you're everywhere at the same time you just know what is and as i'm looking at this tree from all perspective and watching it being fabricated by these little strands of light that are weaving themselves together this beautiful figure steps out from behind the tree and her face was radiating with a glow that was like when you look at the sun on a sunset day, you can see the outline of the sun, and you can look at it just enough to where it doesn't hurt your eyes, but it is so beautiful. That is the outline that was coming from her face. I could not see the details of her face. I could just see her beautiful golden eyes that were as blue as the sky, but it still had the outline of the, the sun through her whole face and everything about her. And she was wearing a beautiful white robe. The didn't have a hood or anything like that. It was just covering her body. And to this day, I've tried to say, who, who is this figure? And I was six years old. I had no belief system or anything from which to draw upon, uh, for this to even be. My mom said, maybe it was me. And that's the closest thing I could think that, uh, Maybe I might have been representing. Uh, I'm trying to look at this still as a skeptic, you know, right. because I didn't share this until I was later in my, my 30s. And with my mother, I, I told her things that she didn't even remember, but yet were spot on with what the doctor said. Well, as let me continue with my journey. Sorry, that's another story. It's okay. It's such a timeless experience. Time is not relevant like it is here. Um it literally, in that little black place that I left from, it felt like I was there hundreds of years uh, before I found a way out. But uh, every time I would have a negative feeling, something would was there to help me out. Well, I later got in touch with, with this little thing to help me out. It was the feeling of love and love alone. And this this tree, which represented life and love, as soon as this figure stepped out, I was aware of what it was and I was aware of why I was there. I didn't even know I was dead. She explained to me that uh, this was a transitional choosing period, and I needed to make a choice. And I am loved unconditionally. There is no pain. There is no worries. You're exactly where you're supposed to be. And, and she did all that with just a look. She didn't have to say it. She didn't have to acted out or any any other way just with a look it's sheer knowing and it's such a powerful feeling to uh, we can't communicate like that i wish i had a way of doing it. telepathy would be the best way i could explain it but yes. the amount of information that she gave me with just a glance is like relaying your entire life story to someone with just a look and it's that feeling that I've learned to accept now in life that when I see somebody and I'm drawn to them for whatever reason, there's a reason why that's there. It's the same pull that I had with my near-death experience. I get in life, too, all the time. 
And I have great lessons to learn from these people because they're all teaching great, valuable lessons to one another. We're all, all picking up pieces of ourselves that, that we've lost at some point along our journey. And after she did this, she, she said, come with me. And she took, she took my essence. I was around her everywhere, looking in upon her. She gathered me in and pulled me in as a ball of light, and I entered her and went into this tree-type thing is the, the best way to explain it. it. It engulfed us and became us, and at that point I awoke in a field. It was a beautiful field where the grass was just as green. There was mountains so high that I... There's nothing to compare it to. I mean, the mountains around here aren't even considered mountains to what I saw there. And the sky was just so beautiful, and the birds were out of this world. They were moving like flocks of fish, and every animal was not fearful of me that I saw there. They were all, uh, in such a way, they were loving me as if I was them. We all had the same understanding that there was nothing to fear and everything was loved, and there was even other children there. And what she relayed to me through that whole thing, uh, it's it's hard for me to put into words over a one-hour conversation because of the amount of information she dumped into me. I wasn't able to keep all of it, and there's certain reasons why I can't remember that, and that's because it would take away from who I am now. And But the different incarnations that I've lived through my life, I was playing with children that were me in other lives, and we were having a blast. I remember at one point we were playing tag, jumping from mountaintop to mountaintop along these gigantic mountains, literally skipping along playing tag. And at one point I jumped into this huge body of water, and I remember the water twisted upside down, and I was running on the bottom of the water with these fish, that were moving through the water just like birds. And it was so beautiful. Uh, I could talk about this forever. The clouds there are not like they are here. They're, uh, you have, have you ever had a lucid dream by chance? Y- yes. Were, have you ever had control over a lucid dream? No. Okay. This was almost like a lucid dream, but with the vivid realness of reality. But I had complete control, so no sooner than I would look at the clouds, I was making something out of the clouds. And it was always to honor me. I felt so honored and so loved there. There was no judgment. There was no wrong. There was no ridicule. There was no labeling. There was no dissecting or stereotyping. We were literally all just one and loving company of love. And it's such a powerful feeling that anybody that has ever passed, we should be celebrating at the fact that they are in the honor of this love. Because what we are going through here on Earth is a is a reflection of that, but yet it, we are living separate lives from the connective nature of everything that is. And that's only so we can teach ourselves a very important lesson of how love unites and connects everything. We can't do it if we're already connected is the problem. And so by living this singular life, we can learn the, the power and the lessons that love has to teach. But love there is the fundamental uh, building block and is the fundamental feeling that gives strength and gives meaning behind everything. Wow. And it, it, this is where it gets a little crazier. 
as I was looking at a flower, I've seen many things there that science has later confirmed to be real. I was looking at a flower, and each part of this flower made the entire picture of the flower within the piece of the flower. Uh, and I later known this was something called a fractal. And everything like that was comprised of somewhat like a fractal. Every part of the smallest hole made up the entire large macro hole. There was no individual, there was no singular, uh, but at the same time, everything was an exact copy of what its smaller product was. And so I, I try to use that when I look at life now and when I see things. And it it's come to find out science has really found out that really our existence somewhat the way nature uses these building blocks is fractal by existence. But everything there is a perfect piece of a perfect whole. But yet, if you are to look and you are to narrow down your field of vision, you see the whole within the smallest part of it. And you always see an aspect of yourself, which is that divine love and everything. And it cooperates with you in a loving way. And um, as we were playing, me and the children were playing, I finally met this woman again, and I felt like I was there thousands of years playing with these children, which were other incarnations of myself. Uh, I could name them all off if you would like. Um, you know the kids' uh, names? I remember some of their names, yes. Um, the ones that stuck out the most, it was two little Chinese boys, was Chang and Wang, and it was a little girl that had very short hair. She almost looked like one of the boys. That was Ming. And um, she had a sister named Yaling that was there as well. And this is the weird thing about incarnations of yourself. You can live during the same time period. You're not bound by time uh, like we are here, Ada Linear. So you could actually bump into one of an incarnation of yourself from your same soul and not even know it. But you'll know it when you bump into them. And because some have lived during the same time period, that they existed and it's really hard to describe because we can't relate that everything in our mind has a beginning and an end but there everything exists simultaneously and is a perfection of what it creates and you it's so hard to relate to words. I'm almost at lost for words here. Oh, it's okay. Um, Josh, I but, just want to say, I mean, I know you've listened to the show, and I've talked to enough people that have had near-death experiences, and one thing that they say that's true is they just can't put into words and do it justice what the experience was. So yeah, just do the I best you can. if I could just plug my brain up to a screen, it would be awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, just do the best you can. But let me just ask with the other children, do you mean to say that there are other incarnations of each one of us maybe living at this time that are connected to our soul? At the same exact time that we are now. Oh, that's heavy duty. Our soul duty. is not bound to just one, living one life. Oh. Uh, imagine that our entire lives are but a blink in the eyes of the soul. And each lesson or each blink, our soul learns a valuable lesson that it can only learn in the form that you are now. And you are so important it literally made a universe just for you to learn this lesson. And as you learn that lesson, it, it grows. It's already infinite. It, it's already perfect. But it is a chance, a gift 
for life to observe itself in the embodiment of all that is, in the infinite of all that is. And you, you're not bound by picking, uh, If, for example, I wanted to live 15 lives during uh, World War II, even though one of them was, it was a little boy named Enric. And uh, I've had dreams of little Enric, Enric Butner, I think was his name. And little Enric, he, he told me about his entire life and how he was a, a fighter pilot and uh, he died very young, but he enjoyed, it wasn't about him dying. He didn't feel that he had died. In his mind, he was still very much alive. It was just that the form that he had chosen ceased to exist. He had picked another form, which was me later on. I don't know in which order that we were placed. Right. I just know that we all are in our will, and it's almost like meeting the best friends you never knew you had. And wow. uh, I've never heard this concept before, so I think this is fascinating. It's so alien because it, this doesn't fall under any religious concepts or anything. Yeah. I was my parents were atheists for the most part growing up. My mom uh, accepted spirituality after this. Well, this is. This is the part where after meeting and interacting with these children for what I felt like thousands of years, and I can go in more in detail about what we've done and all that if you'd like, I was given a choice at the very top after I was playing with these children, the top of the largest mountain that I like to go to a lot. And it was the, every time I would find the largest mountain, there was always one a little bit bigger. It was always something else to keep me enthused and it was creating this for me i had the childlike enthusiasm of being always excited even though i knew everything that was i had no fear no worries no judgment and the the feeling of love you get there is truly an unconditional infinite love that only maybe you're you've touched upon in life a dozen or so times and it's very brief it's such a constant feeling there. We should not feel sorry for anybody that has passed. It is by far the most completing, awe-inspiring feeling I've ever had in my life. But after having all this with these children, I met the woman again, and she said, now is the time for your choice. In so many ways or words, as soon as I saw her, I knew. And at this point, I went through another vortex. Uh, she pulled me back into the ball of light and the vortex we went through here, I experienced something different. It wasn't like the vortex of the darkness that I went into the first time when I left my body. This one was much more, it was almost like living thoughts. Um, the thought of everything that I thought I was, was gone. I couldn't even recognize myself because I lived so long in this place. What I thought I was, the thoughts of this world were no longer with me. I had forgotten those. They they basically never even existed. I was having so much fun with these children in the now that was, an appreciation of being all that is. I, I didn't even recall the life that I lived here on earth. And because I awoke to something so much more, it literally seemed minuscule in comparison. But our lives have so much meaning to ourselves. Um... Well, as she said I had this choice, I had a omnipresent view, and I'm in the hospital at this point. I'm looking at a little boy laying in a bed. I'm looking at a woman sitting in a chair, one of them little orange plastic chairs. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was two of them and a little table sitting there, and it had a meal on it. 
and uh, the door was shut and the blinds were put down. It was very dark. And the way I was seeing things in this vision, you could see people's pain. You could feel people's pain. You were connected to everything in that room. And I didn't know that I was looking at myself. The little boy was me. I had no idea that was me until looking back now, I know that it was me. And it took me a long time to grasp because I had forgotten myself in so many ways. But I was still remembering the love that my mother had toward me. I was still connected to her because of the love. And the love is the seed at which that we survive through death. All the negative stuff that happens in life, that's quickly forgotten, just like it's forgotten in life. But those loving moments, like when a father first picks up his child and looks into their eyes, those moments last forever, and they last there too. You don't forget those. And it's because of the love that connects us to our higher self, and our higher self only accepts love. It accepts nothing other than. And as I'm looking at myself and my mother, the doctor walks in, and I didn't know it was a doctor. It was a guy dressed in white robes. And I was like, who's this guy dressed in all white? He looks kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he comes in, and at that point, my my mother's color changed. The, it was almost like I was looking at her, and there was a bubble around her, a bubble around me, and a bubble around the doctor. And these bubbles were flashing very fast. And as she was interacting with him, parts of his bubble would literally merge in with hers and it would change the color of hers. She went from a, I'm hearing a beep, but my phone's not going to die. Are you with me? Yep, I'm with you. Okay. She, uh, they heard, I didn't hear, but by the sounds of them communicating and opening their mouth, the bubbles merged in and intertwined with one another and it changed the color of what she was and I felt what she felt and it was, it was, horrible news. The doctor had told her that your son is more than likely never going to recover to live a normal life. Uh, my son's beeping faster. If I lose you, I will call you right back. Okay, I'm I'll call you because I have to record this, so I'll call okay. you. And as, as this is very hard because the memory itself brings up the pain of what I felt then, as the doctor told this to her, my mother collapsed in his arms. And she said, no, no, she was in denial. And the doctor continued to tell her that it may be all right. I've seen children recover, but I've never seen anything like this without some injury of some sort. I just wanted to prepare you for this, or the reality of may what happened. And a tear even went down the doctor's eye because he had just told a mother that her son is more than likely going to be a vegetable, right. maybe never walk, brain dead whatever the case is, and that consumed her soul, and I still feel the pain upon the memory of recalling this, and it is the worst pain that you can imagine. Well, as she was sitting there, the doctor left. She got down on her knees. She grabbed my hand. She said, please, God, do not take my only son from me. I'll never forgive myself. Give me one second. Mm Mm-hmm. The pain that I felt still sticks with me to this day. I'm a strong guy, and I very rarely ever get emotional. But the pain was so real to her. It was her prayer. And her prayer was my choice. And I didn't know that at the time. 
Next thing I know, there's some normal light fairies that I saw that were making the tree and everything that I wanted to be in the other world. Now it spun themselves around my head, and I felt myself laying back in my body again. Wow. And it was about a week after that I woke up from being in a coma. I had this funny helmet on. I was like, what the, what just happened? I had no idea. Next thing, last thing I knew, I was uh, sitting there watching a person that I'd never known feeling all this pain. And the pain is the connection of love. They go hand in hand. You can't truly love something if you don't feel the pain of loss when they're gone. It's just natural. Accept it for what it is, absorb it, and then use it to honor that love even more. And uh, it, it's, how, it's what defines us, is how we accept the pain. It's what later defines who we are and how we use it. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I often thought of the more you love, the more it hurts. It just shows the more capacity you have for love. Mm-hmm. Some people, and then you can look at it from the sense of no ego. It's our own selfishness that doesn't want to let this person go from their life because we want them to be there for us. But the reality is they're always with us. At the power of thought, we can go back to them whenever we want. And you really are what you love if you love what you are. And uh, I've, I've lost a lot of people here recently in the past couple of years, and my strength of faith has, has tested me throughout my life, and it's never given me more than I could handle at any given point. All the tests prior to were just warming me up so I could handle this stuff later on. And when I draw close to faith, it's, it's for a reason. It's me telling myself that I'm going to need that, and all the tests that I've passed or even failed. You'll just take them over and over again until you do pass them. And then at that point, you're ready to accept what it is, and you come to acceptance and know that you're always in the loving presence of anybody you've ever lost. They're always with you. Honor them with your life and with your heart because they are a part of you, and that's the way you feel. You are connected to all that you love and the world that is that comes next. And if anybody was uh, looking back, they would only want you to be loved and cherished and Feel the divine love that they're feeling at that particular moment that they know you will share one day. They just they can't break that whole free choice barrier right there because then it wouldn't be free choice. Mm. Um, when you were a child, I mean, obviously, well, I'm guessing you must have been in tremendous pain when you woke up. Oh, I, yeah, I had a lot of issues. Uh, like I said, I was born left-handed and... Uh, I became right-handed afterwards. I had to wear this funny helmet for about a month and a half. Even so much as tapping my head could have killed me at that point. I uh, went through a couple surgeries or whatnot uh, to relieve more pressure on other parts of my head. And I should not have recovered. I was literally a medical miracle of the fact that I survived. And um, to this day, I don't have any permanent injury. There's nothing wrong with me. In fact, I was put in an LD class, uh, learning disabled after all this for about two years because I was still learning to operate and I had to learn motor functions again and stuff. And throughout it, they gave me an IQ test in about the third grade. 
and they I scored 148, which uh, come to find out it was the highest in the whole school. Wow! And they said, how could a kid that had a severe brain injury score so high? And they said, apparently he's he already knows this stuff, and it wasn't because I was bored. It was because there were, I was having more fun coloring and being with the LD students because they had more creativity in their class than the learn this, learn that. I, I was more inclined to learn uh, to express my own creativity, not to learn what other people so choose to learn, to learn what I wanted to learn because I felt that's what I needed. And I've always been like that in my life, hard-headed to some degree, but I'm willing to listen to others for the sake of uh, understanding, and I'm not always right. I know that. Hmm. But at the same time, everybody has something to learn from others. Josh, when you were young, did you remember that near-death experience, or did it take a little while? Uh... I remembered it true and blue. I just didn't know how to explain it. Uh, I told my mother about it. I told her about the place I'd seen, um, and in a kid-like way. Um, well, odds only you could, because you were a kid. Yeah, yeah, I had nothing to relate it to. I told her about the beautiful woman and flying around the mountains, and they're like, okay, he was probably dreaming in a coma. You know, and they, they kind of shook it off like that. Around the age of 12, I told her that I went somewhere when I when I passed. I actually went somewhere because I physically felt the feeling of moving and being moved, just like when you're on a roller coaster, except a thousand million times faster. I was going at the speed of light at one point. And... Um, yeah, I was definitely being moved, and I explained all this to her in such a way that she knew after I told her what the doctor said, that was absolute confirmation because she never shared what the doctor told her. She never shared the prayer that she said in silent with anybody. Um, once I told her that, she knew that I was still in that room while the EKG or the brain monitor, I was in a vegetative state, and I, I should have had no senses. I shouldn't have been able to dream. I shouldn't have been able to fathom anything whatsoever, let alone have an experience that uh, is exactly like real life, but in a different set of uh, senses that I don't even have presently. So if my brain can do all that while injured, it, we're really not using but 10% of our brain, like they say, because you can only access the other 90 when you leave your body, apparently. Mm. Did this impact your mom, knowing that... Like, I, I can't imagine when she heard you say everything that the doctor said. I mean, she must have been mind-blown. That destroyed her and the pain and uh, what she was going to have to go through. She blamed herself for a while um, because she didn't watch me. She put her faith in, you know, somebody else to watch me, and she always blamed sure. herself for that. And I told her, I said, you don't have to uh, to blame yourself. In fact, it's been one of the greatest gifts in my life. It's hard to let go of guilt, though, for a lot of people. I think it becomes something, you know, like a like a habit of brushing our teeth. The more we feel guilt, the harder it is to lose the habit. How is she it is. now? That's the mirror that I believe. There's, there's a series of mirrors. I've come to accept that life is a mirror in so many ways. And one of the mirrors is is to see yourself doing compulsive acts of things over and over. Um. And, for example, her guilt is somewhere that our mind tends to go back to because it's looking for something to blame other than accepting responsibility for ourselves and everything in our life. It 
it's looking for something to blame other than ourselves. And in doing so, all you're doing is passing the buck to something else. You're not actually owning it and coming to acceptance of what it is. And can we accept? We can if we we have the faith to know. And by life's experience, I could explain to you doing some thought experiences. For example, anybody can do this at home. You, you can, I can prove to you that your loving feelings have an effect on your material world around you. You can take bananas from the same stalk of bananas on one. Focus all the love that you have to offer to that banana. On the other, pluck from the same one. Focus all your negative feelings of hate and anguish over the next three days watch confirm each day the love and the hate on different bananas and watch what happens to those bananas Uh, i've done this test over a hundred different times and every time i've even done it with a handicap using a green green one that i projected hate onto and an older one that i projected love onto the green one still rotted still turned black And if your thoughts can have an effect on bananas to this degree, imagine what they do to your own body. So be what it is you want to be. Happiness and love is our main pursuit, but we have to do it in a way that we don't take from others and that we're not blaming others. We're accepting responsibilities for the role that we play. And our part and their part, you can't blame anybody for anything in your life. Everybody is a mirrored reflection of who you are. The people that surround you are what define you. The uh, way that you regard your parents is normally the same way that you'll regard your uh, creator to God, your heavenly father, because he's not male or female. You're looking at love of unconditional, and that's who your parents and the Creator have shown you. So if you look to the way people relate to people in their lives, you can normally tell who they are using these mirrors as a good judge of we are what we create and we are what we love. And I I have my own form of meditation that I try to do every night to center myself, to make sure that I'm fully expressing myself to that it is which I love. How do you do your meditation? Can you share that with us? Once, uh, I've been meditating since I was 12, and I got into martial arts and kung fu because um, some of my past arca- incarnations were Chinese. Sure. Given we didn't speak Chinese over there, all we had to do was look at one another. And that's what first got me into wanting to meditate, and that darkness that you have. You experience that every night right before you go to sleep. Meditation is no different than going to sleep, except you're remaining just awake enough to still observe your thoughts, your subconscious thoughts, your soul thoughts. You can put whatever name or label you want behind it. There is another mind at play that is you. And as as I got older, I started to release. My ego was one of the hardest things to let go of. I always wanted to, it was always pushing its way in my meditation or a fear. If you have a fear in meditation, it will project itself and that's all you, your mind will think about. And we're, most people are fear-based by nature. That's what motivates a lot of people is fear. And it's the natural will to survive and duty and responsibility. You have to let all that go. It's literally as if you were jumping into a black hole. All the man-made words and worries, all that stuff doesn't exist anymore. You're just going into the empty darkness of all that is. And you have no expectation no 
nothing, nowhere to be. And as soon as you shut yourself off to all that is, then you observe your thoughts. And I try any bit of thing that normally projects itself into my mind is a picture. And those pictures have profound meaning to myself. For example, before I meditate, I'll go into it with the intentions, with a question in mind. But I won't ask the question meditation. I'll physically say it before I meditate. Because once I'm meditating, if I apply any conscious thought whatsoever, it's like being in a dream. The moment you realize you're in a dream, you wake up because you just grab control of it. You right. can't do that. You have to completely let go and be automatic. And sometimes focusing on your breath is a very good way to do it. I found that having a repeating binary sound, much like your heartbeat, that's in sync with your heartbeat. If you can sync your own heartbeat to a binary beat, it works very good because the same thing that keeps your heart beating, the automatic motion of that, and the, the same thing that automatics makes you breathe, all that is you're being self-automated. The moment that you let go completely and you're paying attention to the self-automated aspect of your own body, that's when your mind goes into this place where dreams become available. And dreams are not only to help you in your present, they're to help you overcome fears and worries. And sometimes it's your past life experiences that you're drawing from. Sometimes it's things that you've experienced in the past and you thought that you could do better and it's your way of letting go of regret and forgiving yourself so you can love more fully and more wholly. And uh, in doing so and meditating, once I let go of all this, I've seen some very profound things. And it has really helped me understand a, a lot about myself more than anything and in doing so, by answering those questions, once you fix your mind, everything else just seems to fall in place. Wow. Do you have any thoughts, Josh, as to what the purpose of our life here is? I think everybody else has their own specific purpose. We're all doing exactly what we're supposed to be doing right now. God's will is exactly what's happening. Some people are performing processes that they don't even understand that they're doing and they're doing it completely automatic the only thing that we the only purpose that we're supposed to find is to really enjoy the gift that we've been given because um, if if we're not enjoying the gift the same thing that allowed the creator to create us is what we should be embracing every second that we're alive and my my attitude is love happiness and uh, the pursuit of. Wow, really great. Um, what do you want to share that you haven't shared already? I'm just looking at the clock and our time is coming to an end. Uh, I, I, always, I like a good uh, Romans 110 where it says all things in nature can clearly be seen by the Creator and nobody is without excuse. Uh, basically saying all you have to do is look at nature to see the, the Creator because it is seen everywhere. Every time, for example, if you do a little research into plant consciousness or something, you'll find that plants are incredibly smart. A tomato plant, and no sooner than a bug attacks it, let's say a spider mite comes along and starts nibbling into it, this tomato plant releases a pheromone that attracts a carnivorous mite to kill it. Now, from an outside perspective, a tomato plant doesn't know anything about bugs. It doesn't even have a brain in order to do this. But this field of consciousness, God, if you want to call it, it puts everything 
in the exact place where it needs to be to perform its exact role. That's why nature is so perfect. We have a lot to learn from it, and we also have a lot to learn from children because children are the newest incarnations, and they have the most to teach us about ourselves. They they haven't seen or been brainwashed through the way people have learned to accept that reality is. They're outside-the-box thinkers, and they only encompass love, and they only want love. And if you really want to know what life's purpose is, sit down with a child, and they'll show you really fast. <laughs> Wow. How did you get so smart here? I mean, to, from your, the doctors thinking you might end up a vegetable to being extremely uh, I read, wise. I tend to read a lot, but, you know, I, I've come to a certain point where I don't even read that much anymore. I just look at things and I really listen with an open heart and I see that uh, without being a scientist, I followed quantum physics to try to figure out where Schrodinger's cat is at, you know. It's not until you exactly observe something in a defined position that it has any meaning whatsoever. In quantum physics, we're coming to a day and age where science is going to prove that we are so much more than you could ever imagine. That Reality is nothing but a group collective dream of everybody working together. And if everybody in the world agreed upon that uh, love and happiness is what we were seeking. We would see a world that would reflect love and happiness. I think right now a lot of people are focusing on the fact that money is having its way with the direction of the planet. And that's not always, making all the money in the world isn't always what's best for nature. If we study nature and we see how it cooperates with itself, it doesn't compete against itself at all. Nature works perfectly together with itself. And, for example, they've done uh, research on ivy plants. When it grows, it will not, it has spatial awareness. Another ivy plant will not grow over another ivy plant because it will kill it and strangle it, and neither one will get that much light. They've done the same research on birch trees that they don't compete against each other, especially if they're born from the same birthing tree, for example. Uh, there's TED Talks on plant consciousness and the way water crystals form, for example. Dr. Emoto done some research on yes. water crystal formation. And just the thought and prayers put behind the thought of water changes the way they crystallize. Now, our body is over 90% water. And this is one of the most unique things that I want to share with you that I've seen in creation just looking at nature, and it might help a scientist out there. Uh, everything around us is in perpetual perfect proportions to everything that we are. Everything that surrounds us is in per perfect proportions to who we are. For example, if you were to take the entire universe and break it down, hydrogen, carbon, every single element in a pie chart, and then you were to compare that to Earth, you're going to see the same similarities between Earth and the human body. And the human body is literally an aspect, a mirrored reflection of all of creation. And just like our bodies are 90% water and the rest carbon, so is our planet. Wow, you've left us something so empowering. You had just brought up Dr. Emoto, and like I'd never heard of the banana experiment. I know of him doing a rice experiment that mm -hmm. um, you've heard me say on the show before, but he had people all over Japan take one pot of rice and divide it into two jars and 
uh, in one room, they'd place one jar, and it would just say people would think negative thoughts and say yeah. negative words, and in the other room, all positive. And at the end of the month, the rice that got the positive words it was a like a golden color and smelled nutty, and the one mm-hmm. in the other room turned black. Exactly, and that's where I'm saying the power of thought has so much more power than we can ever imagine, and that's why I've been waging a war against the news because they try to tell you what to think for yourself. I'm yeah. not teaching people what to think. I'm teaching them how to think, and I think that's more important is people can see things clearly for what they are for themselves and how they apply it. Dr. Emoto's research, I've, I've done my own experiments. Here's one that you can do as well I'll share with you. Take at least three people, uh, take a coin, everybody agree on what side that coin is going to flip over every time. So if you agree on heads, everybody there agrees on heads. Now, if you have a skeptic, this will not work because the skeptic will be the negativity that blocks this experiment from happening. But if you all truly believe it's going to flip over heads, more than 50% of the time, I don't care how many times you do this, flip it over 10 times, if you agree 10 times, it's going to be heads more often than tails. As many times as you do this experiment, it will be heads more often than tails if you all agree on it being heads. Oh, that's cool. I saw Dr. Russell Targ. Oh, I don't know if he's a doctor or not, but he was one of the men that invented the, uh, he's a physicist, invented the laser beam. And he got into a lot with consciousness and remote viewing. And he did a, I saw a documentary that they had a, a random number generator. And same kind of thing. People with enough positive intention mm-hmm. could swing what this random a number generator did so it it was like ones and zeros and they could actually have it be more than 50 percent like the ones showed up based on their intention that's what i'm saying you are connected to everything around you everybody is and that's why quantum entanglement for example we could take a an electron from an atom and stretch it off to the other side of the universe when we interact with that atom immediately some type of information is transferred all the way to the other electron on the other side of the universe as if they are together already. Now, that proves that relativity is wrong. That proves that our modern understanding of science with relativity is completely out the window. What that does prove is everybody is connected. And the only separation of self is the illusion of what our senses are telling us that we are separate from. But that's why nature cooperates with itself. It doesn't use man-made labels and define this tree or that tree or this or that. It sees everything as just one working, one perfect process. And uh, I think we have a lot to learn from nature. It really is a a good teacher. I've I've looked a lot of Indian beliefs, and I really uh, like some of the Hopi Indian beliefs. They were really one with nature, and they, they took great knowledge from nature and applied it to their own culture uh, very uniquely. Wow. Josh, just looking at the time, it's about time to come to an end. The feeling that I have coming through me now, and um, maybe you could just share a little bit about this, is I, I'm i 50 years old now, and somebody could be listening mm-hmm. to this being 20 years old. Somebody could be listening mm-hmm. right now and being 85. There's that sense of, oh, I should have started this sooner, or it's too late for me. Mm-hmm. That's regret, and uh, I've written a lot of poetry about regret, and regret is only the negative 
aspect, you focusing on the negative aspect, holding yourself back. You're trying to talk yourself out of doing something before you even give it a go. You'll find out that every journey begins with a baby step. You've never made it anywhere in life by not trying. Right. And as long as you continue to take those steps, and the more you apply yourself, the more results you're going to see. This reality gives people exactly what they deserve. Exactly what they deserve. God's will is happening. Even sometime we may not understand it from our point of view. Everything that is happening is exactly, you're playing the role that you're supposed to play. Everybody's doing exactly what they're supposed to do. And um, if they are trying to change and they want to change, then regret is not something that facilitates change in a positive outlook. If you want change to be in a, a positive outcome, surround yourself with positive people, surround yourself with positive things, and you'll see positive results. Wow. So from this moment forward, we can change. We can. I think we should all get out a couple of bananas and see how mm-hmm. powerful we are. And exactly. this can really enrich our lives. And I'm of the belief that when we close our eyes uh, the last time in this life, we open them in another great reality That's so true. and That's to be so able true. to look back and no matter how many days each one of us have left to be living in this miracle of knowing our full potential or exactly quite a bit oh josh thanks so much do you join the gift yeah do you welcome people getting in touch with you if they want to oh yeah if uh, anybody had a reason dr adawaz reached out to me yeah. i've uh posted on Evan Alexander's forum before. I try to talk to people on uh, in your chat box, for example. I've, I've talked to many people that are having trouble losing loved ones. For example, I've lost both sets of my grandparents and my mother's battling cancer yeah. right now. And pain is not something that's easy to be dealt with, but draw your loved ones close and count your blessings because more often than not, if you focus on the negative, that's what will happen. Focus on your blessings and the time you have left and the time you've spent with them and all the loving memories that you've already achieved. That is something to be grateful for in itself, and it was a gift. And there's more than likely when one door shuts, another always opens. Mm, very good. How about I post on your episode, your episode 137 on we don't die radio.com is it okay i post your email address in your say your facebook profile sure can so people can get in touch with you okay great so josh lucian thank you so much for being our guest today thank you so much for hearing um everything i've witnessed as a child and i still remember as if it's yesterday i try to live my life by some of the key lessons i've learned there is treat everybody as if it could be you because it might just be oh (laughs) wow that's amazing, that final thought. Treat everybody like they might be you because they might just be. Yep. And uh, wow. the Great. one quote that, that I really want to leave everybody with is, uh, you are what you love if you love what you are. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much, Josh Lucian. And thank you for our listener for spending this hour with us. It's really been a value to me, so I'm guessing it's a value to you, too. It's been a great blessing. And 
I, I wish you well in everything you do and keep at it. Your your radio show is awesome and you'll always have me as a listener. Thank you so much for that. And like I said in the beginning, I encourage others with other stories, please come forth. Just knowing that that story can make a difference in another life, it can. Your story is just as valuable, whatever that may be. So in closing, my name is Sandra Champlain and I'm delighted to have been your host on We Don't Die Radio. And I do believe that life is an education for the soul and that your life here on earth is important. So thank you for listening and we'll see you soon. Music